One of the most common emails I get is one that I've basically dismissed up until now. It goes something like this. Hey Brian, I don't have a startup idea, but I want to start a startup. What should I do? I usually make that Jay-Z yikes gift face to myself and write back something about how if you don't have a startup idea and you're not endlessly passionate about something, then you probably shouldn't start a startup. I suggest that learning a new discipline might help your Venn diagrams, that you've got better inputs that could lead to a more unique perspective and eventually a great output. And that maybe going to work at a startup could help scratch that itch for you. And depending on the startup, you might learn some skills that you can translate if and when startup idea lightning strikes. Basically, my advice is to chill out and wait for the right idea. Chill fairly actively, but chill. I've always been a huge believer in the idea. I always say that your idea should be anchored by a secret that you know that no one else does. This is how the best startups that I've ever seen have started. I love when people pitching me ideas have serious domain expertise. I'm talking about someone who's been a patent attorney for 10 years and knows something about a specific legal process that literally no one other than a seasoned patent attorney could possibly know. Or someone who's owned 25 restaurants and understands the problems with point-of-sale systems for franchised, fast, casual restaurants better than anyone else. And I still am a huge fan of niche knowledge. It stacks the deck in your favor, and a lot of our best startups have started that way. Just last night, I watched a fantastic documentary about the Thai soccer team that got stuck in the caves. I'll link to it in the show notes, and I highly suggest it, but I'll also ruin it for you now. The people who got the kids out weren't the Thai Navy SEALs or even the American troops sent in. It was a ragtag bunch of self-proclaimed cave dorks who spent their free time exploring underwater caves. That was their hobby, and they were the absolute best in the world at it. Deep, niche knowledge can be valuable. In a startup context, it gives you a head start. If no one else understands the problem you're solving in the way you understand it, they sure as heck can't solve it the way you're about to. But there's something that maybe I've been overlooking. The path to organizing that specific knowledge into an idea. I've been acting like it's something that'll just happen. But how? This isn't Rapunzel. The idea isn't going to climb into the wing of the castle and find you. You need to go after it. And further, our guy Tom Eisenman's massive study on startups found that the minimum number of pivots for a startup before success was five. So whatever idea the entrepreneurs came to the table with wasn't the thing that they ended up leaving the table with. It's all become pretty clear to me over the past six months, and I wanted to do a podcast on it. If you want a startup idea, you've got to work for it. If you're a domain expert, you've got to start getting your hands dirty to start clocking those pivots. If you're not, you've got to start building interactions with customers so that you become one. You've got to start to work for it and to seek it out, to try things, to not wait for all green lights because they're not going to come. So today we're going to talk about practice, about startup practice, and I promise I will do my best to not do the Allen Iverson practice bit because we're talking about practice. Damn it. Sorry. More after some smooth jazz. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox, a monthly membership program that provides structure, strategy, and network for entrepreneurs testing and building their startup ideas on the side. We help you flesh out and test your idea so you can understand and begin to reach its potential before you quit your job to work on it full time. It's our new product we mentioned the past few weeks, and we'll mention it again because I am absurdly proud of it. We put everything we learned from seven years helping over 350 idea stage entrepreneurs build businesses that are now worth over a billion dollars into this program. It's a clear step-by-step path with target metrics that'll take you from idea to product. 
It's the thing I would have killed for when I was a fresh-faced entrepreneur with a job trying to make progress in the margins, which is, by the way, why we built it. There are no cohorts for the Tacklebox membership. You can join anytime. But for anyone that starts before the end of January, you'll get 40% off the monthly cost for life, about $200 a month. We're gonna launch 250 businesses this year and one of them might as well be yours. Head to gettacklebox.com and use the code BUILD in 2022 to start and get the discount. And if you do, I'll see you on Wednesday for a one-on-one strategy session. Back to it. There's a great quote that I've seen attributed to a whole bunch of people over the years, but Google seems to say that it's John Burroughs, so we'll go with him. The quote says, leap and the net will appear. Today, we'll edit the words of Mr. Burroughs slightly, start and the idea will appear. Like Michelangelo starting with a giant slab of marble, you've got to start chipping everything away so that you can eventually get to the David. So practically, how does this work? If you'd like to be working on a startup idea, but you don't really have one, this will be your guide to start chipping away at the marble. When you start anything, the right first question to ask is, what's this for? What are we actually trying to do? The answer for startup practice is to start learning what good and bad looks like, to start knowing how to distinguish an idea with promise from one with none, to start learning how to execute, to get the bad reps out so you can be sharp when it matters. Our not-so-secret goal is to stumble on the business that will change our lives, but the primary goal is relational. We need to be able to look at opportunities and understand how to evaluate them against each other. Too many entrepreneurs show up with an idea that they're evaluating in a vacuum. It's impossible to know if something is worth your time that way, which means we need reps. The rules of starting a business don't go out the window because we're practicing. You still have to have some level of unique insider perspective. It just doesn't have to be this profound thing that came to you in a dream. We're just looking for a starting place. I did the exercise with someone in the Tacklebox Orbit who sent me an email like the one we started the pod with. An email about wanting to start a business but not having an idea. The first question I asked was one that stems from a famous Paul Graham essay and I'll put it in the show notes. In the essay, Graham says that the best way to get startup ideas is to quote, live in the future then build what's missing. To predict where the world will be in a few years then build for that scenario. So I asked the question. When you look at how things are going to be in five years, what's missing? What are some massive problems that will need to be solved? Our test subject jumped at the question. Well, everyone obviously isn't going back to work in person ever again, which on the surface seems great for everyone. It'll be cheaper for businesses, more flexible for employees, better for the environment without all the commuting, and on and on and on. But there are so many things that people haven't planned for. He continued, I just started a new job a few months ago and I cannot tell you how awkward onboarding was. And more importantly, now I don't know anyone. There's no water cooler, no lunchroom. I just know no one. There are work happy hours, but they're on Zoom and all the people that have been there since pre-pandemic just speak with each other. We did trivia once, but there were teams of six and there's really no time to actually meet people. I've set up one-on-ones with people, but those are always more professional. I'm four months in it and I'd literally leave for another job in a heartbeat solely because I don't feel connected to anyone here. If people think younger employees are job hopping now, just wait. Virtual employees are just going to become mercenaries who go to the highest paid place or work multiple jobs at a time or just freelance for themselves. But, he went on, I don't have an idea to solve this. I've thought about a better Zoom product, but I'm not technical. I don't even know if this is a good idea. But I absolutely love the idea of figuring out what work's going to look like as remote matures over the next couple of years. A quick interjection. 
Humans have something hardwired in us that is difficult to outflank. It's called status quo bias, and it's the idea that the way things are is the right way, that any change represents a loss. When you're doing the first exercise here, trying to think about the trends that are happening that'll lead to a future that looks different than now, remember the status quo bias. This shows up for entrepreneurs by trying to recreate everything that happened in the past for this new future state. So as our friend mentions, the way companies used to prioritize employees meeting and building culture together might've been through happy hours or other in-person events. These would supplement all the bumping into each other at meetings and lunch and whatever else happens during the day at an office. So when everything goes remote, we try to just recreate that status quo. Hey, let's do the same happy hours we always did just on Zoom. That's got to be our best option. But what we really need to do is start with the hard question. What's the happy hour for? What are we trying to do? What problem does this solve? And is this the best way to solve it? If the goal is to build culture amongst remote workers, it's very unlikely that the best way to do that is Zoom happy hours. But status quo bias pushes us towards that. Entrepreneurs have a tough time with status quo bias too, because eventually the answer to the remote culture question will look absolutely nothing like Zoom happy hours. But in the near term, you need to remember that people will be anchored to those happy hours and that too much change will feel like too much loss. We used to have happy hours everyone loved and now you want to pitch us what? The other way status quo bias shows up is from the entrepreneur themselves. Our friend here talks about how there will be no loyalty to companies and people will be mercenaries and freelancers unless we figure out the Zoom happy hour thing. He didn't consider the world where that's just the better state where people have two or three jobs that add up to 40 hours a week that they do remotely, where they don't lean on work for relationships deeper than coworker. There's a whole bunch of infrastructure that need to be built if that was the world we ended up living in. Being an entrepreneur is all about predicting a future environment and then building for it. It's easy to assume the future will be more like today than it probably will. Beware the status quo bias. Interjection, over. Back to our friend with the idea, He's got enough to start practicing on, so let's practice. Too many people think about startup ideas in terms of products. Here's a problem. What can I build off the top of my head that would solve that problem? The likelihood of you nailing that product is pretty much zero. The star of our pod today was getting jammed up because he couldn't think of a product to solve the new employee onboard problem. But that's not what's important. Of course, you're not going to be able to think about a new product on the spot that'll solve this massive, difficult, intricate problem. What is important is identifying customers that are all organized around the same problem that isn't being solved. Ideally, customers that all tried to solve it the same way now all realize the existing solution is terrible for the same reasons. Customers that feel pain and can quantify that pain. If all of those customers speak to each other, even better, but you're looking for customers with problems that have good characteristics for us to solve. We're not looking for a cure-all product. We're looking for a good problem. And since we can't tell other people what problem they have, we need to start by speaking with people to understand how they see the problem we think they might have. They own the problem, we own the solution. Then we'll make a reactive product, one that fits the parameters of the problem we found and the way the person we're targeting tries to solve it now. The product is pulled out of the customer. We don't push it on them. We start with a hypothesis of the problem because we've got to start somewhere. The hero of our pod and I landed on companies onboarding lots of employees are suffering because those employees aren't being welcomed properly. There are culture risks and maybe more obvious to the bottom line, turnover risks. We don't need much more than this to get started. We just need to start seeing if anyone cares. 
The first step is finding people that have the problem, starting big and broad. So I asked our friend, who might have this problem? He responded, quote, really, anyone hiring people? Then he continued, actually, the bigger companies probably have better systems around this or have hired people to handle it. So maybe it's the smaller companies that are hiring maybe a few people a quarter or even a few a year. Who would have really felt the pain, I asked? A company that had someone leave because of the culture or lack thereof. I continued, and how might we find these people? This is always the hardest question, and it was met with silence. Then, I guess maybe I could put a LinkedIn post out asking if any HR folks at sub-100 person companies that had someone leave during COVID because of a lack of culture. I could also post this to an HR Slack my roommate's a part of, and maybe promote the question on Twitter. Sure, it's a start. If a company had an employee leave who they'd hired during the pandemic, there's a good chance they would have recognized it might have been a culture issue. We need to see how they thought about that problem and what changes they made, if any. And what about the other way in? I asked. He didn't follow. Let's let's talk to the people who left. Speaking with HR is only one side of the story. They'll say that they offered the employee X and Y and Z. Let's see how the employee saw it. Let's speak with employees that have left because of lack of culture, or let's speak with employees that are considering leaving because of it. We landed on two ways to do that. First, a big email to friends and family, BCC'd. It asked if anyone had left their job or knew someone who'd left their job during the pandemic because the person never felt welcome at the company or they felt the culture was lacking. Would they hop on a call? And second, a Google poll. These are easy, cheap, and gather high-level data on the problem. They show up before YouTube videos, you've probably gotten one. We'd ask the question if people who'd started a remote job within the last six months were already looking for a new one. We set a goal to get in touch with 10 HR managers and 10 people who left their job or were considering leaving in the next two weeks. This would help us start identifying buckets of people organized around a problem. It'll give us something to chase down. It'll let us practice. I've got an interview coming out in a few weeks with the founder of a business that is absolutely exploding. During the interview, I asked about the nexus of this idea. Where'd it come from? He said it was a nine-month journey. He had a new idea every month for nine months. He spent a month testing each one out on the side, speaking with customers, learning more about the problem, deciding if this was worth his full attention. And for eight straight months, that answer was no. Eventually, the startup he's building now was a no-brainer. Customers were way more driven to solve the problem than any of the previous eight. They clearly felt the pain, and they were tirelessly searching for a solution. Against the backdrop of the other ideas, this one was obvious. And all the skills he'd honed acquiring and speaking with customers for the other eight translated into an efficient early testing process for the ninth. Maybe our friend will realize that the problem he's out to solve isn't perceived as a problem now. But through conversations, he realizes that, say, interviewing over Zoom has been a real challenge, or that helping new employees set up a new office is a perk they'd like to offer, or that they want to start building programs around helping their employees' mental health or any of the other thousand things he could discover facing small companies with the shift to virtual. A continued focus on testing, speaking, digging will get you closer. And maybe he didn't start with a ton of passion for the space or deep industry expertise, but expertise can be built and people have the passion equation flipped. You don't do something because you're passionate about it. You get passionate about something by doing it. There's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur, and I don't have the perfect idea, so I'll do nothing and wait until it comes is not the right approach. There will be massive opportunity in the next five years. There will be endless problems to be solved, 
and they can be solved by you. Don't be precious. Start practice. Let's see what happens. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and you want to get started and build it the right way, join the Tacklebox membership. Head to gettacklebox.com backslash no whisper ideas for the podcast listener discount. Have a great week.